0: Audio Ground School Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Nick Smith, and I'm your host of the Audio Ground School Podcast. We got a good episode today. This is episode number 80, and it's dropping on February 12th, so Valentine's Day is coming up soon. But we got a good one. It's on the second half of the VOR episode, so we talked about the general overall overall System of the ground-based navigational system. What's in your cockpit? What's on the ground, and how that works, and where you get the information. In the last episode, so go and check that out. It's a good fundamental kind of baseline for that. And then today we're going to talk about kind of how to use your VORs and how to read a VOR. Some of the more tricky aspects of VORs. So we'll get into that in just a little bit. First, I want to go off and read a couple of reviews. We got a bunch of reviews in lately. So the first one real quick is from Kenneth. Kenneth says, five stars. If you want to get the most out of a ground school, look no further. Nick goes above and beyond to make sure all your questions are answered and even has live sessions on the major problem subjects. It's cheaper than others and it is lifetime. Just go ahead and buy it now. You won't regret it. Thank you, Kenneth. I really appreciate that. You summed it up perfectly what we tried to do at Part-Time Pilot. So thank you. Next one is from Paul, five stars. Part-time pilot is full of information. Part-time pilot is full of information. Nick explains everything in great detail. He goes over and above helping his students out from live Zoom classes to answering questions on Facebook or email. Thank you, Paul. And one more, this one's from Jason, five star. This ground school program is great. This ground school program is great, especially considering the price and content compared to other courses. I plan on using part-time pilot for my instrument and commercial ratings. Once those courses are released, I got a 95% on my private pilot written because of Nick. Jason, that is very nice of you to say, but you got a 95% on your written because you applied yourself well and you did the put in the hard work and you just used our content to help you get there. And that's what we try to do. We try to give you all the tools you need and to make, you know, your studying more efficient for you so that you understand key concepts and you can do it in less time and less money. So thanks, Jason. And he mentioned that the IFR Ground School. Now, when this releases, I don't know if we'll have released the beta, but we are about to release the beta of the IFR Ground School course. So that is coming very, very soon. Super excited for that. All right. So that's good for our reviews. We have a total of 262 reviews now uh, at TrustPilot.com. If you want to read them all, just go to TrustPilot.com and then search for Part-Time Pilot. 262 reviews with an average rating of 4.9. It doesn't go past one decimal, but I imagine because 95% of those are five stars, which is just amazing. It makes me feel, it validates, you know, the work I put in and others put in helping part-time pilots. So thank you guys for that so much. All right. The next thing I want to go to is I want to flip to our listener kind of question or our our student question of the day. And this comes from our private pilot study group on Facebook. So if you just search in Facebook groups for private pilot study group dash part-time pilot, You can come join us. We got like 6,500 members, and it's great because when you ask a question, you'll get an answer from us, but you'll also get an answer from a variety of perspectives. And sometimes it takes a couple of perspectives to make something click. So it's a very, very powerful tool. And just the wealth of knowledge that is in this group, if you scroll down, is incredible. So, really, really cool group. And this question comes from that. And they're asking basically because in our Lesson on the fundamentals of aerodynamics, we talk about in our lesson on lift. And we've done this on the podcast. We mentioned the lift equation. And so this person's kind of jostling with the idea of he's saying, We know that we're not going to use the lift equation, that that's kind of a moot point to use the lift equation as pilots. And that's true. As a pilot, you know, unless you're building your own plane, I, I had someone reach out to me. They're building their own plane, they're doing the welding and everything. Which is crazy, crazy cool, fun project. I told them, be careful. But they sent a couple just photos of the wing frame and fuselage frame and said, Do you think this will will get airborne? And I said, Well, I need a lot more information than just a couple pictures. But I gave them some advice on what I would do, you know, with my engineering background as an aerospace engineer. Went over the lift equation, said and this story goes into this question. So the question, let me just repeat what the student question is. If we're not going to use the lift equation, what do we need to know about the lift equation? Do we have to know how Newton and Bernoulli and all that stuff like apply to that lift equation? Here's the answer, and I'm going to try and bake it into the story. So Newton and Bernoulli explain why the dynamics of lift created, the pressure differentials are created, and the forces are created that contribute to lift. The lift equation takes things that we can measure and variables that we can measure and combines them to calculate a lift. So the reason why we put it in the course and why it's helpful, I believe to student pilots is because it gives you a good idea of what affects lift. Now if you're not a math person, then maybe you don't like. you just want to remember what affects lift. you know if density goes up or if density goes down, how does that affect lift if you just remember that that's fine. But if you remember the equation, you don't have to remember all those individual things. You can just see how they relate in the equation, right? If you have an equation that has x over y, like x divided by y, you know that when x goes up, your answer, let's say it's z equals x over y, you know that if x goes up, z is going to go up if y stays the same. And then if x stays the same, but y goes up, you know that z is going to go down because the denominator of the fraction is getting bigger, so the answer, you know, the total value of that fraction gets smaller. So Z would get smaller. You can just know those relationships if you understand and memorize the equation, the lift equation. And what I told this person making their own plane, I said, look, basically, if you want to know if it's going to get airborne, you know, have to know, have to choose like an airspeed that you think engine and propeller you're putting in this thing can get you to, and that's going to depend on the landing gear you put on, the total weight of your aircraft, and the horsepower of that engine and how efficient the propeller is and all that stuff. So there's a lot baked into it, but you can do some research and say, okay, you know, home-built aircraft, can this engine that I'm going to put in it could probably with this, these weights can probably get us up to this airspeed. That's what you want to start with because the lift equation contains airspeed squared. So it's huge. As airspeed goes, lift goes. It's a huge contributor to lift. So the other thing that is a contributor to lift is density. And that we don't really have an effect on, right? We can't adjust density. So I I told them, just use a nominal value, average value for density. But what I would do is I would be a little bit more conservative and use like the density of air on a hot day, right? Because especially if you're gonna be riding in this aircraft, you wanna make sure that you're conservative on all your estimations and you can get off even if the density is higher. or sorry, the density is lower on a particular day because it's hotter out. So then there's density, and you can pick a value of density. And then the next thing that lift relies upon is the planform area of the wings. So that's basically just the surface area of the wings. So he you know, has the frame of his wings, so he could calculate the surface area of the wings, plug that into his equation. And then the last thing that it depends on is the lift coefficient. And the lift coefficient is essentially related to the angle of attack and the shape of the airfoil. And the airfoil is a cross-section of his wings. I told him, I don't know where you got your airfoil, but NASA, there's a huge long list of airfoils called NACA airfoils that are the most common airfoils used for aircraft, you know, all the way back going into like the, the 40s and 50s when NASA was getting started and they were testing all these in wind tunnels. And usually you determine the coefficient of lift theoretically in wind tunnels by testing airflow over these airfoils at different angles of attack. As the angle of attack goes up, the coefficient of lift goes up, but you'll know your angle of attack on the ground, right? Because he wants to know when he can lift off. Will this aircraft be able to lift off? So he knows he's going to be on the ground. He can say, okay, if I can get my engine to get me to this airspeed on the ground, well, then if he knows he's on the ground and he's already welded in the wings into a position, he knows the angle of attack his wings will have with the relative air on the ground, right? So he knows that angle of attack. And so I told him, like, look for a NACA airfoil where there's data on this stuff. The most closely matches, and hopefully there is one, I'm sure there is, but hopefully there is, matches the airfoil of your wing, right? And then find what the CL value is for the angle of attack you'll have that you can measure while you're on the ground. And there you have your angle of attack. So now he can calculate the lift. He can have it a certain airspeed with a certain density for his airfoil and his wing area. And then all he has to do is he has to have more, that lift value, that force value for lift has to be more than force of weight from his aircraft. So he'll have to get his total weight of his aircraft and multiply that by the gravitational constant to get the force of weight. And it's just a simple comparison, battle of the forces. And to be able to lift off, his lift has to be more than the weight. And that's just kind of the general thing to think about. And that sort of thought process is really cool and can be really helpful to help student, even student pilots who aren't building their own planes, understand how different variables affect lift. And so that's what I wanted to do with our lesson and why I put the lift equation in there to show what variables do to lift, right? So the lift equation is one half times the coefficient of lift times density times the surface area of the wings times airspeed squared. So we know that as airspeed increases, lift is going to increase by a factor by an exponent of two, right? So if your airspeed is 100, then lift is going to increase 100 squared. You know, it's going to be 100 squared value according to lift. And then your CL, obviously, directly, you know, the higher the coefficient of lift is, the higher your lift is, the higher the density is, the higher your lift will be. And then the higher, the larger surface area of your wings, the higher the lift will be. So it's just a good thought experiment and a way to understand how those different variables affect lift. That's what I wanted student pilots to get out of the lift equation. Don't worry about how to calculate things, how to experimentally determine the coefficient of lift with an airfoil, right? All that stuff. That stuff can be fun if as a hobby, if you're building your own plane or you're aerospace engineering. It's your job. But for pilots, just kind of understand the factors of lift and how they affect lift. All right. So that was a great question, and I thought it would be cool to kind of relate it to a, a real-world type engineering thought process. So there you go. All right. So that's the question. We've read the reviews. Let's get on to our lesson on the second part of our lesson on VORs. All right. So if you're following along in the online ground school, which, again, I highly recommend you do because we've got, you know, when you're studying, it could be great to listen to audio when you're on the go, but to really understand the fundamental concepts and mechanisms, sometimes you're going to need visuals, the quizzes, the videos, and all that. Extra stuff that we have in the ground school. But if you're following along, so this is in the step one course, you know, private pilot online ground school lessons. And then we're in section, what section is this? 16 on navigation and lesson three titled VORs, DMEs, TACANs, and Vortex. So go ahead and go to that lesson to follow along. And we did the first half or so of the lesson. So this is after the video. The image that shows, you know, the aircraft, the aircraft, you know, nav radios, the VOR instrument and the VOR station. So that kind of system image. So right after that, below the video, that's where we're going to leave off for this lesson. All right. So VOR instruments in your aircraft consist of two main features that help determine your relative position and bearing from a VOR station. That's the course deviation indicator or CDI and the to from indicator. The 2 from indicator tells you whether you are flying to the VOR or from the VOR station. The knob labeled OBS or Omni Bearing Selector, so there's also a knob usually on the bottom left of the instrument, is used to spin the circular dial to change the radial you want to dial into. So there's a course bearing indicator. It's usually like a yellow arrow or a yellow arrowhead at the top, and that points to a number on a round circular scale that moves. So the round circular scale, like the numbers on a clock, right? But it's a 360 degree scale, like a magnetic compass rose. And that, when you spin the OBS, the Omni-Bearing Selector, that compass rose turns. So what is at the top, the number at the top changes, okay? So your course-bearing indicator changes. So if you want to dial into a radial, you'll turn that until your course-bearing indicator is showing that radial up so that the whole compass rose will turn and then you turn it until the number you want is at the top over the course bearing indicator. So when you do this, when you spin the OBS, the CDI needle will also move to the left or to the right. And this is because the radial you're dialing into, again, is the one you have at the top of the instrument, is changing and so your course deviation indication Is also changing. So it's going to move at the same time. When you are on the radial that you have dialed in with your OBS, so let's say you dial, you put 210 at the top of your VOR. So that's the course indicator on your VOR. You turn the OBS knob until you get 210 at the top. And let's say you're on the 210 radial or it's reciprocal. Okay, so that would be the 030 radial. The CDI indication will center. Again, and that's that could be the 210 radial or the 030 radial. So when you're looking at like a sectional chart of a VOR station and you find on the compass rows that surrounds the VOR station, you find the 210 marking, that's the 21 radial. So drawing from the station outwards on that 210 direction, that's the 210 radial. And then the opposite of that, the reciprocal of that, which is minus 180, so the other direction, would be 030. So 210 minus 180 is 030. And the 030 radial would be from the center of that station outwards in the 030 direction on that compass rose on your sectional chart. Okay, so that will make a straight line going through the station. Your aircraft, when you have 210 dialed in on your radio, on your VOR, and the CDI indication is centered, if that's the only information we know, we know that our aircraft is somewhere on that straight line. It could be on the 030 side or it could be on the 210 side. It's somewhere on that line. Now to determine which side of the VOR station we're on, because it'd be nice to know it doesn't tell us much. It tells us we could be in the northeast or we could be in the southwest quadrant from this VOR station. It's narrowed it down a little bit. We at least we know we don't know we're in the northwest or southeast quadrant, but it's narrowed it down a little bit for us but not enough. So that's where the to from indication comes in. If you get a from indication, it means you are on the same side of the VOR as the radial you have dialed in. If you get a to indication, it means you are on the opposite side of the VOR as the radial that you have dialed in. And the radial that we have dialed in is a radial at the top of our VOR instrument that we turn the OBS knob until that radial number was at the top of our VOR instrument. So in this example that we've been talking about, that's 210. Again, a from indication, it means you're on the same side of the VOR as the radio you have dialed in. If you get a two indication, it means we're on the opposite side of the VOR as of the radio that we have dialed in. Another way to remember this is from the phrase two is through. So if you imagine your aircraft flying the same heading, and this is key. And this is how I do it in my head all the time. If I want to figure out where I am from the station, I imagine my aircraft just for this moment, just for this thought experiment flying in the same direction as what I have dialed in on my VOR. So if you imagine your aircraft flying the same heading as what you have dialed in as your radial, with a two indication, flying this heading would have you fly through the VOR station in the center. So if we're looking at a VOR station, right, the little symbol for a VOR on a sectional chart, and then we have the compass rows around it that tells us all the radial directions, if we have a two indication and we're flying the same heading as what we have dialed into the VOR, two is through. So we're going to fly through. If we continue on that heading, we'll eventually fly through that VOR station in the center. That's where the symbol for the VOR is in so the center of that compass rose. We'll eventually fly through that station. If we continue on the same heading that we have dialed in to the VOR instrument. Okay. Now, On the other hand, with a from indication, flying this heading would have you flying away from the VOR station. So if, again, we're flying the same heading as what we have dialed into the VOR, but we have a from indication, we're going to be getting further away from the station in the center of that compass rose. All right. So hopefully this is a tough subject. It's one of the toughest, most asked about subjects from student pilots doing my best to do it in audio. It really takes some visuals. So I highly recommend, you know, the videos we'll put in the show notes and the videos are in our course and the images in our course. So we have a couple images here that I'm going to try to communicate to you here in audio. So the first one I kind of breezed over, but it's just it shows a picture of the VOR instrument and it just labels everything. So it shows the course bearing indicator is the little yellow triangle at the top shows the course deviation needle. It's a white vertical needle center in this picture. And then we have course deviation scale. So on either side of the center of the course deviation needle, we have scale markings. And there's usually five on the right, five on the left, and each one is two degrees. So if you have, so it's a full scale deflection of either 10 to the right, 10 degrees to the right, or 10 degrees to the left, of course. And then each scale notch in in between, is two degrees. And then we have the omnibearing selector, the little knob in the bottom left, and then the two from indicator. And the two from, there's usually a, a literally the word two, and then usually fr or the word from. And then there will just be a little symbol like a white triangle. When you have a two indication, the white triangle will be under the two. When you have a from indication, the white triangle will switch and be under the from. All right. So if I spin, so let's get back to kind of our thought experiment and how you determine, you know, your relative position. So if I spin the OBS until my CDI needle is centered and my VOR reads a radial of 030 degrees with a from indication, then I know I am one of the red aircraft in this next image. Okay. We have a compass rose, you know, we have a sectional chart and we have a VOR station at an airport. And then we have the compass rose for that VOR station that shows all our radials around that. Right now, We have drawn a line on the 030 radial, so out from the station in the 030 degree direction, and then out from the station on the 210 direction, okay? So we have a line all the way through the station on either side. Now, because we have a from indication, remember that tells us that if we're flying the same heading as what we have dialed in, which is 030, if we're flying in the 030 direction, right, which is the Northeast, then that means we would continue to fly away from the station. So we know that our aircraft, if we have that, the CDI needle centered with a 030 dialed in and a from indication is on the northeast side of that line. So we're on the same side as a 030 radial marking around that VOR. So really take a look at that image to get a good visual of that. So again, it means if we're flying, the same heading as what we have dialed in, 030, we would fly away from the station. So that has to mean that we're on the same side of the VOR station as that the 030 radial. 030 radial is on the northeast side. We're on that same side. So we know if our needle is centered, we're somewhere on that 030 radial. Now, if we had a two indication, then you'd be one of the blue aircraft in this image. And the two indication means that if we're flying in the zero three zero direction, we would fly, remember two is through, we would fly through the station and this, in the center, okay? Again, the zero three zero direction is to the northeast. So if we were to fly with a two, we would fly through the station in the center. That means to pass through the station, we have to be on the opposite side of zero three zero. So we're actually on the two one zero radial side, but even though our VOR says zero three zero, with a two indication, that means we're on the 210 side. But if we were to fly towards 030, we'd fly through, meant two is through, we'd fly through the station. So the VOR does not tell you how far away we are from the station or in what direction our aircraft is pointed. So in all these kind of thought experiments, I told you to imagine the aircraft is pointed in the same direction as what you have dialed in the VOR. That's just a tool to imagine to be able to accurately read and figure out where you are in relation to the VOR. But as this figure shows, if we have a 030 needle centered from indication, we could be any of the red aircraft in this diagram. So there's three red aircraft. There's one really close to the VOR station that is pointed to the Southeast. There's one that's a little bit further away, but it's pointed to the West. And then there's one even further away that's pointed to the Northeast. Now, all of these are on that 030 radial. So they're on that line. If you draw a line out from the station center, outwards in the zero three zero direction, they're all at that moment in time on that line, right? But the VOR does not tell you which direction they're flying. So this is just a snapshot in time. If we were the aircraft that's traveling West, right? And we press play on, you know, real life, that VOR indication needle is not going to stay centered. The CDI needle is not going to stay centered for that aircraft very long. Because the the VOR is dialed into 030 and it's only centered because at that, that moment in time, we happen to be on the 030 radio. But if we continue to fly west, then we'll go on the 029 radial, then 028 radial, 020 radial, 010 radial, 0 radial. We'll continue on and our CDI indicator needle will start to move off from center saying, hey, we're off course, okay? Now, the only aircraft that if it continued to fly that would keep the needle centered is the last one that is pointed in the same direction as 030. So if you have the 030 radio dialed in, right, and you're flying 030, if you continue that, you can keep the needle centered because you're flying on that 030 radio. That's kind of alluding to how we track and fly on radials. The VOR does not tell us which direction we're pointed. That's our heading indicator. It just tells us our relative position from the VOR station. Now, it also doesn't tell us how far away we are from that station. So we could be a mile away from the station. We could be 10 miles away from the station. We could be 20 miles. It doesn't tell us how far away. It just tells us which radial we are on. So that's the relative position, relative direction from the VOR station. So if you were a VOR, you know, navigation station, that's like someone being like coming to you and asking you, Hey, which way is, you know, Starbucks, you just literally pointing in a direction. And that's the only information you give them. You just say that way, right? That's like what a VOR tells us. You just say that way, (laughs) you know, don't say how, how far or, you know, in which direction they have to point uh, to get there or or what you just say it, it's over there all right so hopefully that helped a little bit and that made some sense now uh one thing i want to add here is the first positive complete reversal of the 2 from indicator on your VOR indicates a station passage so in other words that you have passed the VOR station that you are dialed into so let's go back to our example where we have a 030 radial dialed in and let's say we have a two indication. So that means we're on the opposite side of the 030 radial. And remember two is through. So if we're, we're traveling in the direction of 030 with 030 dialed in, we have our needle centered. That means we're on the 210 radial but we're flying through to the station, right? Two is through. So we're gonna fly through and over the station to continue. So we're gonna go on the one, 210 radial to the station you know, so 210 into the station, pass over the station, and then out away from the station on the 030 radio. So our two and from indicator, when we're on the 210 side, will be a 2. And then the first positive complete reversal of that two from indicator, so when that goes from 2, so when we see our VOR indicator go from 2 to a from, that means we have station passage, which means we have Flown over the VOR station on the ground. So when we see that switch from to to from, we now know we're on the technically on the 030 side. And when that happens, we've overflown our VOR in, station on the ground. Okay. Now I have a couple memory aids here that I want to talk about. So the first memory aid we've already talked about, we said if a from indication your aircraft sits on the side of the VOR, of the radial set into the OBS. OBS, So if you have a from, right, you're on that side of the radial that you have dialed in. And then if you have a two, you're on the opposite side of that radial so that you're on the opposite radial side because two is through, right? And from is flying away from if you were to fly the same direction as what you have dialed in. So we've talked about that one. The next one is kind of like a visual memory aid that you can kind of draw whenever you get like test questions or you can mentally think about it in your mind. And it's essentially, it has, you draw the VOR station in the middle. So think of this as like, you know, those projectors when we're, if I'm speaking to young kids who don't know what a, one of those light bulb projectors is with a clear piece of paper and you put it down and they can write on it with dry erase markers or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, the clear pieces of paper that you could overlay onto like another piece of paper. That's what I'm talking about here. So if you had like, uh, maybe like carbon copy paper, that might help. That's probably even older than what I'm talking about. But so if you were to draw this on like a transparent piece of paper, right? And then you could overlay it onto your sectional chart. That's kind of what I'm talking about so that you could see, still see the sectional chart behind it, but then you can see the markings you have on this transparent piece of paper. So if you draw the VOR station in the center, okay, and then you draw a line up from that, down from that, and then to the right and to the left. So you basically kind of like you're drawing north, south, east, west, okay? And then the line going up is the radial dialed in by the OBS. So now if you have, you're doing a test question and it says, you know, where are you, you know, relative to the VOR, this VOR station, if this is what your VOR instrument looks like, right? Something like that. So you would just take this piece of paper, right? You have these lines drawn with the VOR station in the center, line up, down, left and right. And the line up is the radial you have dialed in. And then you just turned it. So that let's say your VOR instrument has it dialed in 180. So you just turn it so that the top line is facing in the direction of 180. So you basically flip it upside down because 180 is to the south, right? So you have that top line, that top vertical line pointing up on your piece of paper. You always align that with the radial on the sectional chart that you have dialed into your VOR. Okay, so you do that and then you draw four quadrants. You also have four quadrants on this transparent piece of paper. You have the top right quadrant. Okay. So this is like the Northeast quadrant is going to be from, it's going to say from. So it's going to be a little circle. That's like a, your VR instrument. And it's going to say from, and it's going to have a CDI needle indication off to the left. Okay. And then now on the bottom right quadrant of this little kind of four square drawing that we have, you're going to have a circle so that represents your VOR instrument, and it's gonna say two, and then that's also gonna have a CDI indication to the left. Okay, now we're kind of going clockwise here. So the bottom left quadrant is also gonna have a two, but now the CDI indication is gonna be off to the right. Then finally, our last one back on the top left is going to have, again, CDI indication off to the right, but with a from. So now when you look at it, just, so again, we have the VOR station in the middle, we have a line straight up, a line straight down, line to the right, line to the left creates four quadrants around this VOR station. Now, the top right quadrant and the top left quadrant, those are the from, that's the from side. So a- everything at the top is the from side. Everything at the bottom is the to side, right? Because the bottom left and bottom right are both two indications. The top left, and top right are both from indications. And then all the, the both quadrants on the left side, so the two left side quadrants, the top left and the bottom left, those have CDI indicators off to the right. So the needle's off to the right. And then all the quadrants on the right side, so the top right and the top left, they have CDI indicators off to the left. So the needle's off to the left. So now you have a combination of four different things for the quadrants, right? And if you have that and you can visualize that, this is kind of, I like to go with the two is through version, but if you're more visual and you want to visualize this and kind of draw it, Let's so say you go into your test and you draw it on a scratch piece of paper, and you kind of you can overlay it onto or draw it, you know, in light pencil on the charts for your test. Then by all means, and you just simply rotate it so that the top vertical line matches up with the the radial you have dialed into your instrument. You can then see each quadrant around that VOR station what the indication should be on the VOR instrument. So we do an example. Here. So we have like a 035 radial dialed in to our VOR. So we have that top vertical line pointed in the direction of 035. And then we have the different four different quadrants and what VOR indication they should be. And then so if we have a two indication with our needle off to the left, then we know we are in the bottom right quadrant. And that tells us exactly where we are on this chart. Now, this is again. I highly recommend going and checking out the the visuals of this. This one is almost impossible to describe in detail, but I did my best, and I want you guys to go ahead and check that out. So let's move on now, talk a little bit about CDI deflection and off-course measurements. So once you have dialed your nav radio to the VOR frequency you wish to track, okay, so you dial in VOR frequency, and you check the Morse code, and it connects. Now you're, you're getting the signal for that VOR. The white needle or the CDI needle on your VR instrument that we've been talking about will react according to the position of the station relative to your aircraft. It'll immediately react. And when the bottom of the CDI is pointing left or right, this tells you that you need to turn your aircraft left or right. And we'll get into something called sensing and reverse sensing here in a bit. The CDI needle also tells you the amount of degrees that you are off course by aligning with a scale of dots below it on the instrument's face, like here in the image we show on the course. So we mentioned these before, right? So there's the center of the instrument and then there's five notches to the right of it and five notches to the left of it. Each notch tells you it's two degrees. so if the cdi needle is all the way to the right on the and it's overlaying the fifth notch to the right, that means you're ten degrees off in that direction. Now, if it's on the second notch to the left of center, then that would mean you're four degrees off because again each notch is two degrees so I have a another visual to kind of show you guys what this tells you. So if you are on, let's say we have 300 dialed in to our VOR. Okay. So we have the 300 radial dialed in and let's imagine we're flying in the 300 direction, make things easy. So if we're on the 300 radial and we're flying in the direction of 300, our needle is going to be centered and we're going to be with a from indication because we're, we're actually on the, the side of the 300 radial, right? the from and we're flying away from the station in the 300 direction. So we have a 300 direction radial dialed in with a from indication and our needle would be centered because we're right on that 300 radial. But what if we have 300 dialed in, but we're actually flying on the 305 degree radial? We're still, and we're flying in the direction of 305. Well, it's going to have our aircraft, our instrument is going to have 300 dialed in. We're still going to have a front indication because we're still on that side, right? We're still on the from side of the, and we're still flying away from the station, but our CDI needle is not going to be centered. It's going to be off to the left by five degrees. So it's going to be two and a half notches to the left on the instrument. That's what we show here in this picture. Now, in this case, because we're flying in the direction of, you know, the same direction as what we have dialed in, we have something called normal sensing. And we'll get into this more in a little bit, but that normal sensing tells us that a CDI needle to the left means we need to turn left to get back on to the radial that we have dialed it. So we, so in this case, because we're on the 305 radial, we're five degrees off to the right. We need to turn left to correct five degrees back to the left. And you can also think of the CDI needle as the actual radial you want to be on. So when that deflects to the left, it means you want to kind of chase it to the left to get back on it. And again, that's when you have normal sensing and you're flying in the same direction as what you have dialed in. Now, let's say we we're on the 310 radio We're flying on the 310 radio, but we still have 300 dialed in. We still have a from because we're still flying away from the station. We're on that oh, we're on the from side doesn't mean we're flying sorry, let me correct that. Doesn't mean we're flying away from the station. It only would mean that if we have if we're flying in the same direction as what we have dialed in. And in this example, we're assuming that we are. But we can still have a from indication, even if we're flying to the station, but we're on the from side, right? We're on the same side as our VOR radial. So if we're on the 310 degree radial, we have 300 dialed in with a from indication. We're now 10 degrees off course because we have 300 dialed in. So our CDI needle is going to be all the way on the fifth notch to the left that tells us we're 10 degrees off course. So again, it's off to the left. That means we would have to turn left because again, we're traveling in the same direction as what we have dialed in, we'd have to turn left to correct and get back onto the 300 degree radial. So again, if the CDI needle is three dots to the left or right, that would be six degrees off course to the left or right. The needle does not tell you how many miles you are off course, but instead the angle, uh, again, as represented in that image that we just talked about. So it just tells you the angle of degrees that you're off course. So it kind of tells you basically the actual radial you're on. So if you're right, if the needle is telling you you have to turn left. You know, you have to correct ten degrees to the left. That means you're on the radial that is ten degrees to the right. And again, the visual of this will will help you out. Most VORs have five total dots for a full scale CDI deflection of ten degrees. You may get asked how to determine the amount of miles you are off course and not degrees. So if we want to say how far off course we are in nautical miles, the only way to do this is you have to know how far away from the station you are, right? Because we only, again, the, the VOR only tells us the degrees we're off course. And so to be able to tell us how many miles we're off course, it depends how far away we are from that VOR station. This can get kind of confusing, but we're going to talk about it here. And again, visuals are very helpful in this case. So there's one way to do this. There's a couple ways actually, and one is called the 60 to one rule. And this says that when you are 60 nautical miles away from the VOR station, each degree off course is one mile. Okay, so if we're 60 nautical miles away from VOR station and we're one degree off course, that means we're one mile, one nautical mile away from the course. If we need to turn left to get back off course, you know, we're one degree off to the right, of course. So we gotta turn left. We gotta basically turn left for a horizontal distance of if we, A 90 degree turn to the left, we'd have to travel one nautical mile uh, before we get that CDI needle centered because we're 60 nautical miles away. And the further we are away from the station, the more each degree is going to be equal further away in a horizontal distance away from the radial we want to be on. So it's the 61 rule. So if we're 120 nautical miles away from the station, then each one degree off course would be two nautical miles. Okay, because that's double 60. And so this, the 60 to 1 rule just tells us, you know, we can start there and then we can kind of work back from it. So, for example, if we're 20 nautical miles away from the VOR station, that means we're a third of 60 nautical miles, right? And one third of one nautical mile is 0.33 nautical miles. So that means that if we're one degree off course, then we'd be 0.33 nautical miles off course when we're 20 nautical miles away from the station. If we were 30 nautical miles away from the station and we had one degree, we had a CDI which was telling us we're one degree off course, then we would be 30 is nautical miles is half of 60. So we'd be half a nautical mile away. So you can kind of see how you can manipulate that 60 to one rule. You start at 60 to one, and then depending on how far the distance you are away, you just correlate that to the 60 to to one rule to figure out you know, in general, a good estimation of how far away in nautical miles you are from that course. Again, we have a visual here that kind of shows you in the ground school. It's a, you know, it shows us when we're 60 nautical miles away, when we're on that radius around the VOR station and we're five degrees off, you know, how much that correlates. So in that example, right, if we're five degrees off and we're 60 nautical miles away from the station, that would be five nautical miles off course. So we kind of show what that looks like visually. And then we do another example 30 nautical miles and five degrees off course. What well, what that would be, that would be two and a half nautical miles off course. And we even show the VR instrument indications of what that would look like on your actual instrument. The other way to do this is to use triangles and trigonometry. Now, I'm a math guy, so I prefer this way. I don't have to remember a 60 to 1 rule, but depends on who you are and what you like can also use a right triangle and trig functions to determine how far off course we are. If we know the length of the hypotenuse, that's the distance from the VOR station, and the angle off course, we can use the sine function to find the side of the triangle that is exactly equal to the distance we are off course. So that is just the hypotenuse times the sine of the angle we are off course, which equals the opposite distance of our triangle. So in our case, that's the distance from the VOR station times the sine of our angle off course equals our distance off course. So for example, say we are 45 nautical miles from the station and our VOR CDI shows that we are five degrees off course. This gives us an equation of 45 times sine of five degrees. And when you do this, if you do this with a calculator, make sure the degrees are in degrees. So you have degree mode turned on and it's not doing a sign of radians. Sometimes they default to something called radians. You wanna make sure it's in degrees. So 45 times the sine of five degrees equals our distance off course. We just need to, uh, and again, I talk about you know radians, make sure we're in degrees, not radians, but you can just simply type in Google 45 times sine, and then in parentheses five space deg for d- degrees, close parentheses, and Google will know what you're talking about. This gives us a specific and accurate distance off course of 3.9 nautical miles. Now, if we did the 60 to one rule for that, we're 45 nautical miles off course. So that's three fourths of 60. 45 is three fourths of 60. So one degree off course would be three quarters of a mile. Since we're five degrees off course, that would be five times three quarters, which would be 3.75. We got 3.9. So it's a little bit more accurate when you use the trig functions. But the sixty-to-one rule is a good, pretty good estimation, right? Three point seven five versus three point nine, pretty dang close. And I have a picture here of how to of another example where we do fifty-six nautical miles away from the station and five degrees off course, and what that would give us. And I even show what the VOR indication would look like for that. All right. For a little bit, we mentioned reverse sensing, and let's talk about that a little bit more. So when flying a heading opposite of what you have dialed in to the VOR, so or in the general opposite direction, you will experience something called reverse sensing. On the other hand, when flying a heading in the same direction as what you have dialed into to the VOR, you experience direct sensing. I think I call it normal sensing, but I think the correct is direct sensing. In direct sensing, when the needle is off-center to the left, it means you need to turn left to get back onto your radial. That's when you can Think of, like, the needle as the radial you need to be on. So if it's to the left, then you need to chase it to the left. And if the needle's to the right, then you need to chase it to the right to get back on. That's when you have direct sensing. In reverse sensing, when you do not match the general direction of your heading with what's entered into your VOR, a needle off-center to the left does not mean you need to turn left to get back onto your radial, but means the opposite. So this is, can get pretty confusing. Uh, So that means you would need a needle to the left would mean you need to turn to the right to get back on course. So in order to properly use the VOR for what I want, I follow a set of consistent steps in order to avoid confusion. So if I want to fly to a VOR station, I set my nav radio to the VOR station frequency and identify the VOR using the Morse code. I then move the OBS dial until the needle centers with a 2 indication. Whatever the needle is centered at, I roll out my aircraft at the same heading. So now I'm flying to the station with the same heading as what I have dialed in. Now I fly to the station by keeping the needle centered with direct sensing. So a needle to left means I just turn left and needle to right means I turn right. I just kind of chase the needle to stay on the radial to the station. Now, if I'm flying from a VOR station, again, I set my nav radio to the VOR station frequency and identify it with the Morse code. I then move the OBS dial until the needle centers with a from indication. Whatever the needle is centered at, I roll out my aircraft at the same heading as what I have dialed in my VR. I fly away from the station by keeping the needle centered with direct sensing. Again, I just chase the needle. Needle left, I turn left. Needle to the right, turn right. Because I, I So I set it up, basically, that I am traveling in the same direction as what I center my my VR, I set in my VOR. I set it up that way so I have direct sensing. That's just a hack I use so I don't really ever have to deal with reverse sensing. If I just set it up that way all the time, I don't have to deal with reverse sensing. Okay. Now you just have to remember that if you don't set it up, you have to recognize when you do have reverse sensing or it's just going to make things worse and you're going to fly further away from a radio rather than, you know, get back to it. And we have a video that shows this and I'll put that link in the show notes. All right, so now I want to talk about intercepting a VOR radio. So here are the steps on how someone might intercept a VOR radio. So let's say you're not starting like a VOR station. Let's say there's a VOR station to the northwest of you, and you're flying to the north and you want to intercept a radio that's going west, right? So you would how would how would you do that? How would you intercept that VOR radio? You're not on the radio. But you want to get onto it and then track onto it. You want to intercept it and then fly on it. So, you, again, you set your nav radio to the VOR station and identify the VOR using the Morse code, make sure it's working, all that stuff. Then you want to move the OBS dial to the radial that points at my destination. I then turn to the same heading as the radial on my VOR. Once stable at this heading, I know that because I am flying the same heading as what is dialed into my VOR, that I'm seeing direct sensing on my VOR needle. So if the needle is to my left, I know I need to go to the left to get on my radial. So I make a 90 degree turn to the left. So in this example, let's say again, we want to intercept the radial to get to a specific airport. Okay. So on our chart, we can see what VOR radial points right at that airport. Okay. And then so that's what I dial in to my my VOR. Okay. Now when I do that, because I'm not on that radial yet it's gonna show that not on the radio, right? My CDI indicator is gonna to be to the left or to the right of center, okay? But I do that and then I turn my aircraft in the same direction as what I have dialed in, okay? So for example, let's say, again, I have a VOR station to the east and I have a airport to the west, okay? Or sorry, I have a VOR station on the west side and I have an airport to the east, okay? And so the VOR radial that points to that airport is 090. So my airport's on the 090 radial. And let's say I'm south of both of those, okay? I'm in the middle and I'm south of them. And I want to fly onto the 090 radial, turn onto it, and then track it straight to that airport. What I'll do while I'm south, I set in 090 into my, I, you know, I dial in the frequency for that VOR, says 090. And then my needle is not centered, but I'm going to now turn my aircraft to the same heading of 090. And then now I have direct sensing. And so now I can say, okay, is my CDI needle to the left or to the right? If it's to the left, which it would be here in this example, because I'm south of it, right? It means I need to turn left to get onto the radial. So I'm south of it, pointed east. My VOR radial is to the north again. And I want to, track it to the east to the east to my airport so i turn left 90 degrees so i'm 090 originally that's my heading and i see that my cdi is to the left so i turn left 90 degrees to 360 and i travel until my and i watch my cdi needle and it's going to start so it's let's say it's way it's all the way to the left it's going to start slowly coming to the center my needle on my answers slowly come to the center as i get closer and closer to that radial. I'm flying directly to that radial, perpendicular to that radial, right? And as it gets almost center, I'm going to roll out back to the heading of 090 because I know that's the direction I want to go. And then I'm just going to kind of slowly watch my VOR CDI indicator and slowly turn towards that heading so that by the time I'm pointing 090, my needle is centered on 090. And then now I can just fly on 090. And then if I get off course left or right, I just follow the needle. And that's how I intercept a VOR radio. And just a note, while doing this, I may see both a to or a from indication on my VOR, depending on my relative position to the VOR station. This is okay, as long as they have the same heading as what I have dialed in, and I'm direct sensing and can find where that radial is. So in this case, it's not so important as to what side of the VOR you are, you just want to find that radial and then track it to where you want to go. All right, hopefully that makes sense. I know VORs are tough, but it's even tougher to explain in audio. So hopefully this is helpful for you guys. All right. So how do we we talked about how a VOR, you can't determine your exact location, right? It just tells you which radial you're on. It doesn't tell you how far away from the station you are or your which would then tell you your exact location, right? So how do you do that? Well you can determine your exact location with either two VORs or a VOR and a DME. So to use two VORs to triangulate your position, this is what you do. So let's say you're lost, okay, and you want to know exactly where you are. And there's a couple VORs around you in the near vicinity, so you're going to use those to triangulate your position. So first, you would circle your aircraft to remain relatively stationary while you work on your VORs and figure out where you are. So you want to just kind of do a nice easy circle, you know, trim the aircraft and make sure there's no traffic and all that. So then on your chart, you want to determine the two nearby VORs to use for triangulation. You need to choose VORs that are not on the same latitude or longitude as each other. Otherwise, you'll not be able to triangulate. So they have to be kind of off kilter. They can't be on the same latitude or longitude. They can't be in a straight line with you. You have to kind of make a triangle between you and each VOR station if you were to draw it on a chart. Then you set each nav radio to your two VOR frequencies and check both with their Morse code. Then you Dial the first VOR's OBS until the needle centers with a from indication. When you have a from indication, that's going to tell you what radial you're on that's pointed at your aircraft, right? You're on the from side, so you're on the radial you have dialed in, you're on that side of the station. Then you're going to do the same to the second VOR. You're going to turn the OBS until the needle, CDI needle is centered with a from indication. Then on your chart, you're simply going to draw a line outwards from each VOR, on the radials that your uh, instrument's centered at, okay? So for example, if VOR1 centered with a from on the 050 radio, I would draw a line on my chart from that VOR station outwards on the 050 radio. Then let's say the other one centered with a from indication on, you know, the 210 radio. I would draw a line outwards from the 210 radio. And if you continue drawing these lines, they're eventually going to intersect and where they intersect is your exact location. So you've used two different VORs to tell you which radial you are for each VOR and the meeting point of those is your exact location. So if you're lost, this is a good way to triangulate your position, uh, right? You could say, so then you could look at your sectional chart, and Be like, okay, I'm right here. And then you want to verify that with something, you know, a VFR flight where we can see out the window, maybe there's a lake nearby and you say, yep, okay, that confirms there's that lake. Now I know where I am. Okay, now where am I going? And you can go from there. Now, how would you do this with a, VOR, a DME? So DME is distance measuring equipment. And it, again, remember, it, there's VOR stations that are just VOR and they don't have DME capabilities. There's some that are VOR and DME. And then there's some that are Vortex or TACANs for military, right? And the Vortex or VOR slash DMEs, they also have distance measuring equipment in there. And then if your aircraft has a DME receiver, then it'll pick up and it's just a, a signal that tells you how far away you are from the station you have dialed in. So you just dial, you just put in the frequency for that station into your DME receiver and it'll just display a number of nautical miles that you are away from that station. So one note though, the DME gives us the slant distance rather than the distance along the ground. So it is usually longer than the distance we will measure on a chart or gather from a GPS. And again, we have an image below. So the distance along the ground, right? That's one distance, but we're up at altitude and the slant distance is the, if you were to draw a direct line from your aircraft to the VOR station on the ground, right? So it's not the exact same as the ground distance It's a little bit longer cause it's the hypotenuse of that triangle. And again, take a look at that figure to make it make sense. Just a side note to remember. However, we can assume that the slant range is the same as the ground distance for most purposes, as long as we understand that the distance coming from your DME is the slant range and is slightly longer than the actual ground distance to the DME. If the DME is included in the VOR as a VOR DME or Vortex, you'll dial in that VOR frequency into the DME instrument, as I mentioned. If the DME is separate and co-located, with an ILS on a runway, the DME frequency will be found in the airport chart supplements. So they can be kind of by themselves for VFR pilots. So you may be co-located with an ILS, or they can be a VOR station. So you might be able to just use the same frequency as a VOR, or you might have to use a separate frequency to dial into your DME receiver. Now I dial in the VOR's OBS until the needle centers, again, with a from indication, because when it's a from indication, right, it tells us I'm on that radial, the same side as a radial. So that's, that's what I like to do uh, when I'm trying to find out where I'm at. On my chart, I draw a line outward from the VOR on the radial that the needle centered on. If my OBS centered on a from with a 050, I would then on my chart, draw a line outwards from the 050. Now you, I would measure the distance reported by my DME outward on this line from the center of the VOR using my plotter tool. And that's going to tell you my location. So let's say the DME so I'm on the 050 radio. I know I'm somewhere on that line because I have a from indication, my needle centered on there. Now, how far away am I in the station? Let's say my DME says 25 nautical miles. So I use the correct scale on my plotter tool to measure 25 nautical miles out on that radial from the station. And that is approximately where my aircraft is located using a VOR plus a DME. So it's another way if you are lost. All right, now a couple more things here that I want to get into. This is a long lesson. I know I want to talk about GPS real quick. So nowadays with modern cockpits and iPads, it is common for pilots to have GPS. GPS is superior to VORs and DMEs in terms of accuracy and ease of use, but it is still imperative a pilot knows how to use a VOR and a DME. In the likely case that a GPS is unavailable or an iPad is not functional. Plus, you will be tested on your VOR knowledge. And then if you want to continue on to fly IFR, you really got to know VORs there as well. They still don't get rid of it in IFR fly. So VRs are highly, highly used in IFR. So some things about the GPS. If your aircraft has a GPS built in, great. Make sure you practice with it on the ground and are comfortable using this in flight. It's very important that you are proficient in any instrument before using it, especially on cross countries. You can also use flying software such as ForeFlight on an iPad or tablet that supports it in conjunction with a separate GPS that connects to the app via your tablet's Bluetooth. That's what I use and it works great. However, it's easy to rely on what happens when your iPad overheats or loses battery. This happens more often than not. So pilots should not rely solely on their iPad or GPS and always be able to use VOR when need to. So that's why the FA wants us to learn it. And you guys know me, always trying to have redundancies in our flight because it could be the smallest thing that saves your life. All right. So I want to give an example of intercepting a VOR radio. Okay. So we've kind of talked about the procedures of how to do all this stuff. Let's do some Sort of examples. So, say you are near a VOR station and have found an airport that lies on the 090 radial, about 23 miles away from the VOR. Set your nav to the VOR station frequency. Identify the VOR with its Morse code and dial the OBS on the VOR to the 090 radial. Your VOR needle will move to the left or right depending on your relative location to the VOR station. Let's assume that the needle moves to the left as seen in the figure we have here. So we have a two indication on 090 with a needle way to the left. Then turn your aircraft to a heading of 090, the same heading as what we have here dialed in. Although we do not know the exact location of our aircraft relative to the station, we can estimate its general location and direction it is pointing. Since we have a heading of 090, we know we are pointing in the direction of 090. And since we have a VR needle pointing to the left, We know that the 090 radial is to our left because we're direct sensing since we're pointed in the same direction. Finally, since we have a two indication, we know that we are on the two seven zero radial side and not the zero nine zero radial side, which would have given us a from. And so we have a picture here that shows a green side of the VOR as the from side, blue shaded area as our two side. Again, two is through, and then from you're on the same side as the radial you have dialed in, all that good stuff to remember that. So here we kind of can generally locate where exactly our aircraft might be. And we have this in the image here. So our aircraft is maybe somewhere on like the two, three, zero radial, you know, it's way off to the right off course of the zero nine zero course, but it's on the two side. So it's on the two seven zero side. So uh, we're way off course to the South uh, we want, you know, or to the right and we need to uh, because our CDI is to the left and we have direct sensing. We want to turn left to get back on it. So now we look at our VOR station to see, again, that the needle to the left, indicating that you need to make a left turn to get on course, again, because we're direct sensing. So we'll turn our aircraft to heading of 090 to the left. So we're going to change our heading 090 to the left. So since our current heading is 090, that'll turn us to a heading of 0 or 360, right? And now your aircraft will now be facing in the direction of 360, as seen. Again, we have this image. So we're still where we were before, right? We're still south of the radial we want to be on, but now we're pointed direct north, so that if we continue to fly, we'll directly intercept the radial, or in this case, the 270 radial, the radial opposite, but that same line, right? So we'll fly this heading until the needle centers. When the needle centers, your aircraft will be positioned relative to the VOR station. Again, here, seen, so now we are, when it centers, we're right on the 270 radial. So we have a needle centered on our VOR, with 090 dialed in and a 2 indication. So that means we're directly on the 270 radio because of the 2 indication. We're still pointed to the north, though. So just before the needle centers, we turn back to the heading we want to travel, of 090. So we turn back to the right 90 degrees just before it centers to kind of level out just as the needle centering back on 090. So then we have a picture Of what that looks like. So now we're on the 270 radial, but we have a 0902 indication. We're pointed at 0902. So we're going to fly 2 is through. We're going to fly through the station and our indication is going to go 2. When we overfly the station, it's going to go to a from and we're going to go from the 270 radial to the 090 radial, all the while traveling in the 090 direction. So we're now on a radial with direct sensing. So if the needle goes off to the left, we know we've drifted off course to the right. We need to turn left to get back on. So needle's left, turn left. And if the opposite is true, if the needle goes to the right, we need to turn right. It means we've drifted off course to the left. So we have direct sensing. We're tracking the radial and we've intercepted it correctly. All right. Now we're going to do some more examples of VOR, you know, questions that you, you may be asked to do. Before that, I want to talk about testing your VOR. There's some important information about, you know, how do you test your VOR? So you can test your VOR stations by pulling the volume knob. We talked about this with a station frequency selected to make sure it's working right on your nav radio. But how do you check VOR instruments inside your aircraft? To do this, a pilot can use a VOR test frequency or VOT. And when the course deviation indicator, a CDI needle, is centered with the test frequency selected on the VOR. The omnibearing selector or OBS and two from indicator should read either zero degrees from or 180 degrees to, regardless of the pilot's position from the VOR or VOT. So there will be a VOT frequency that you input into your VOR, and then your VOR should either it should either read zero from or 182. If it doesn't read those, then your VOR instrument is not working correctly. So just remember, zero degrees from, 180 degrees to, and it's not actually telling you your position from a VOR station. It's just a way to test and give you the readings of zero degrees from and 180 degrees to. And I believe the way it works is the the VOR, so the way VORs work is they have this spinning thing that sends out a, a signal at each degree radial. So as it spins, it sends out a signal for zero degrees, one degree, two degrees, three degrees, and it spins really fast. And your aircraft picks up those degrees, right? And so when your VOR instrument in your aircraft is set to, you know, 210 degrees, it waits to listen to that, you know, to catch that 210 as the thing spins around at the station. And the VOT just spits out the zero degrees and 180 degrees signals. So that's why those are the only two that you pick up. And so that's what you want to see. I believe that's correct. But anyways, so zero degrees from or 180 degrees to when you use the VOT. All right. So how will the FAA quiz you? Well, you may be asked to do a variety of questions involving VORs, you know, from your examiner, from your flight instructor, or maybe on the written test. I don't know. But uh, there could be a variety of things. You could, you know, have a VOR, VOR, DME, and Vortec chart symbols that you, you know, you need to remember. VOR test frequency and procedures. So the VOT, right, that we just talked about being shown or described a relative location to a VOR station on a chart and then asked to pick, asked what that would look like on the actual VOR instrument, Uh, or being asked what course should be used on an OBS to fly direct somewhere, or being told the reading of two VORs and asked to triangulate the aircraft location on a chart. Those are just some examples. So let's do a couple of those examples right here. And I have these in the course, again, with visuals, it's kind of tough, but I'll do my best to explain these visuals. All right, so example one, which of the three red aircraft is represented by the VOR dial shown? First of all, we have a VOR station in the middle of the sectional chart here in the figure. And then we have basically one aircraft labeled number one to the east of it. We have one aircraft that's like the south-southeast of it labeled number 3, and then we have an aircraft labeled number 2 that is to the west of the station. And then our VR instrument has 250 dialed in at, with the OBS, so at the top of the instrument. The needle is centered, and it has a FROM indication. So the VR instrument shows the OBS at 255 five radial. So the 255 five radial and its opposite will be our starting points of where to look, because We have 255 dialed in and our needle is centered. So we know we're either on 255 or it's opposite, which is, you know, minus 180, which would be the 075 radial. This leaves us with either aircraft one, number one, or aircraft number two. So aircraft number one is on really close, right? I said it was to the east. That's really close to the 075 radial. And then aircraft two, if you look at it closely, that was to the west. So that's basically on the 255 radial in this in this figure. Now, the next thing we have to look at is the two from indication. Since the VOR instrument shows a from indication, we know that the aircraft is on the from side of the VOR. This would be aircraft number two, so that means it's on the same side as the radio we have dialed in, if you remember that, right? So we have dialed in 255, that means it's on the 255 side, so that means it's aircraft number two. Now, another way to think about that, right, is the two is through, so if we are pointed in the same, if we were pointed in the same direction, doesn't mean we are, but if we were pointed in the same direction as two five five okay we would fly with a from we'd fly away from the station and that also matches aircraft number two so you can you can look at each of these aircraft's locations and imagine it's pointed in the direction of what you have dialed in two five five and say okay, would I be flying away from the station or through the station right two is through and that's another way that you can do it all right so let's do another example here and again we have visuals of exactly what that kind of looks like here. Now, example two, it says, which of the VOR instruments represents the red aircraft on the chart? Okay. So now we just have a very similar chart. So we have a VOR station kind of in the middle of the sectional chart, you know, the radials all around it. And then we have a red aircraft label number one, just the only aircraft shown. And that's in like the North, northeast from the station. And then we have nine different VORs, instruments, and nine different VOR instruments with different indications. And so which VOR instruments represent the red aircraft in the chart? So it's VOR 4, VOR 5, or VOR 6. So it gives us three different options. The best strategy I found to start with is the start with the first VOR instrument option of, you know, it's giving us the multiple choice. So let's just start with the first option, see if that fits our aircraft, and then work our way through the other three choices. So we start with VOR number four, the OBS is set to the 2-1, in the VOR instrument number four, the OBS is set to 210 radial with a two indication, and the needle is slightly to the left of center. So this tells us that if the aircraft were flying a heading of 210, so again, we imagine we're flying heading of 210, they would need to turn left to get back on course, okay? So that means they're to the right of the 210 radial. The two indication tells us that the aircraft is on the two side of the VOR, which means opposite the 210 radial side or on the side of the 030 radial. Remember, if we were flying in the direction 210, we'd fly through the station. So that puts us on the 030 side of radial side. So if we draw a line outward from the 030 radial and imagine the aircraft aligned with the heading of 210, we see that it indeed would need to turn left for just a bit to get back on course. So number four, the VR instrument number four actually works. So we got lucky. Our first one works. But let's just do the other ones to see to make sure they they don't work, right? Because that's smart. You don't want to, maybe you made a mistake. You want to check the other one. VR instrument number five shows a 210 set in the OBS with the needle centered and a two indication. All right, so now this time the needle is centered. Before we had a 210 with a two indication, but the needle was not centered. So, this would mean that the aircraft would have to be directly on the 030 radial. Again, because it's a two indication, we're flying to the station. So, we're on the 030 radial side. If we're flying 210 direction, which it's not, right? This instrument, the needle is centered. The aircraft in the figure on the sectional chart is not centered on the 210 or 030 radial. So, the CDI would not be centered in this case. Then, instrument number six shows a 210 set in the OBS with a needle to the left and a from indication. Okay, so now this is basically the same as instrument number four, but instrument number four had a two indication. So this one has a from indication. So the from indication tells us that the aircraft is on the same side of the VOR as the 210 radial, which it is not. So in the picture, it's on the 030 side. So it would have to be on the opposite side in the southwest to have a from indication with 210 Dialed in, so number six does not work either. Now we show this visually here and explain it in a diagram in the lesson. All right, so that has been a very long and very taxing lesson. I hope I didn't stumble through it too much. I tried to. The reason I may have stumbled a little bit is because I tried to add to the written lesson and to the the visuals, right? Because you can't see the visuals, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of on the fly explain the visuals and things like that. So hopefully it wasn't too garbly or anything like that. Thank you guys so much for listening. This concludes section 16 of the ground school. So now we just have two more sections. Holy smokes. We have a section on emergencies. So this is just kind of a few things you need to know, you know, going into your test on emergencies, but more so just general procedures and give you a an indication every procedure is going to be different. So I got to give that disclaimer, depending on your situation, depending on your aircraft. But we'll give you a a basic idea of kind of what you got to do and what you got to look out for when you experience these emergencies. And then the last section is on night operations. And there's six lessons in that. And then that's it. So man, it might be about 100 episodes to get through the Private Pilot Online Ground School course. But thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll talk to you next week. Did you know that part-time pilot's ultimate private pilot test prep book just won a Pulitzer Prize? Okay. No, it didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, but it was just updated for the recent changes we saw made to the FA written exam. So now the book has everything that our ground school has and the same questions and test bank that our ground school has that students are averaging over a 90% on the FA written exam. It's now up on Amazon, and you can find it in our show notes on every episode. So go ahead and check that out. Hey, guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training, and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think just do now, when I heard this, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is brilliant, because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, It's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and damning. But Once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school, we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground, or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community, form study groups, get questions answered 24/7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take, and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts. The way we explain things in plain written English and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.